Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm a feminist, but my friend told me the other day she'd had two boob jobs, one when she was younger and didn't have much money, and the second when she could afford the rest. And I said, did you have the left one done when you were 18 and the right one done when you were 25? <laughs> like you were saving up. And we laughed for about 25 minutes at the idea of that. Just like, I can just afford one. <laughs> I'll have this one a D, this one will be an A until I've saved. <laughs> I'm a feminist. But when Deborah showed me a picture of her in a swanky dress the other day, I said, oh, Debs, you look just like a trophy wife. <laughs> and that was me complimenting her. <laughs> I'm a feminist, but I said, thank you. <laughs> that did happen. That did. That happened two nights ago when Alison and I got together to plan this show. I was showing her a picture of some bit of it telly I'd done where they'd done my hair and makeup. I, of course, was showing her to criticise myself and going, I'm not sure about this. And she went, no, you look beautiful. You look like a trophy wife. <laughs> and I went, really? Do you mean it? <laughs> you look like property. <laughs> I'm a feminist, but when these hot days happen, I still get shy about eating ice lollies in public. Uh, because I like to eat very quickly. 
and make eye contact with people. <laughs> and then, in my shyness, I try to eat it quicker, which then just looks more sexual. <laughs> yeah, like any ice cream, doesn't matter. Do you find ice lollies inherently phallic? Mate, yes. Yeah. I haven't really thought of that before. Every but one you're of them. Right. Even yeah. like, even the non, you know, you know, Cornettos, you go mm. to town on that. <laughs> you know, you do. I haven't really thought of it that it's way. It's got a little But center. I don't go like over a Cornetto. <laughs> y- look, you can do, yes. I lick it like a, in a ladylike fashion. I'm a feminist, but I lick a Cornetto like a lady. I'm so sorry. Yeah. I'm not talking heteronormative. I mean, you go to a town on a Cornetto, it looks, you know. Oh, that's a good point. It is, especially because it's got like a flavorful center, you know. (laughs) (laughs) That's the best bit. (laughs) I am so sorry. That was so heteronormative of me. No, 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 it's fine. And it takes me ages on a Cornetto, you know, compared to... Well, a Cornetto is a more sensitive yeah, ice is, cream. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not some kind of popsicle, easy win, just put it in. May, you give me a Milky Moo, it's gone in free goals. It's just, <laughs> do you know? <laughs> That's a really unfortunate name for an ice cream, I realise now. A I milky think it's moo. called Milky Moo, isn't it? Yeah. 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 What, Milky Moo? A mini milk. Oh, sorry, that's just my yeah. pet name for mini milk. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been out of the house in a very long time. Milky <laughs> moo. Wow, wow. <laughs> I'm a feminist, but somebody was asking me, who's just been on a first date, was asking me what kind of second date can I do? Because the second date is normally, first date you tell each other about each other, second date you go to the movie, so then you've got something to talk about, you talk about the movie, what did you think of the movie? So you've got some stimulus for the second date. And uh, they said, well, no, movies are open at the moment, you know, nothing's open, it's really tricky to know what to do on a second date. And I said, I get so many men buying tickets for the guilty feminist as a second date to impress women. It's true. Uh, because they think, oh my God, this is going to so impress them because I'm a feminist and I'm bringing you to a feminist show and it's funny and it gives us something to talk about afterwards and I can talk about what a feminist I am. I genuinely believe they think that will up the activity from the third date to the second date. Um, and uh, in the end, I might have said, I've got more men laid in London than any woman I know. Uh, as possible. Any, anybody here on a second or third date? Just cheer. I, you're lying. <laughs> Nobody here on a date? That's never happened before. Is it because it's an afternoon thing? I don't know. Is no one here on a date? Come no. here. There's a pandemic. No one's dating. Oh, that's <laughs> true. It's a lot of oh, commitments. That's true. That's true because you can't really hook up very much after dates anymore. I know someone that broke her social bubble for a man that wouldn't cuddle her after sex. <laughs> Wow. And then she had to message him the next day saying, uh, please message me if you catch corona. <laughs> Not because she wanted him to, just because she broke her social bubble. But, mm. you know. Yeah, and then she, did, she wouldn't know if he was showing symptoms. Yeah, yeah. Showing symptoms of being a twat. I mean, <laughs> absolutely. A cuddle is the best bit. Like, what a selfish prick. Couldn't believe it. What a selfish milky moo. 
Yes, that's... <laughs> what a Conetto. I wouldn't touch his Milky Moo, I'll tell you that after. It would stay frozen. Um... <laughs> Okay. I'm a feminist, but over the lockdown, I've hosted a thing called Co-Video Parties, uh, where I tweet along to old films uh, with other people. On watching Matilda, I've come to realize that although she's a horrific child abuser, uh, Miss Trunchbull works amazing looks and is my style inspiration. <laughs> <laughs> Live from the New Normal Festival in London, the Spontaneous Shop presents The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis White, guest co-host Alison Spittle, and our very special guest, Alexandra Wilson, talking about justice. Hello, hello, hello. We cannot tell you how good it feels to be back. I'm Deborah Francis White. This is Alison Spittle. Um, it's truly amazing. I feel like crying to see so many people looking in my direction at the same time. And also, I'm like, I'm not in my flat, and uh, there's so many weird things that are going on here right now that I'm not quite sure it's happening. It's possible I took a nap, and uh, I've dreamed this. Thanks so much for so many of you coming out. I imagined it was going to be sort of like, I didn't know what to imagine, but I thought it was just basically going to be like a park and uh, with like sort of 50 people all on rugs sitting and looking in different directions and it was going to be awful. And this is just glorious. Look how beautiful this is. I mean, I still said yes to it because I was desperate to leave the house, but I, I, this is actually lovely. This is like a proper audience. Thank you so much for coming out. Isn't that nice? Um, uh, so are we ready to start the show? Uh, thank you so much for coming out. I'm now going to sit down and uh, welcome... The Incredible Alison Spittle! Oh, I'm getting deja vu or something. It's like I've gone to a past life progression uh, session, do you know? And, like, you know, you lie on the couch and you're like, I was a king once. Um, <laughs> this is a, Are you I'm, getting that but for I was a stand-up comedian in previous life? Genuinely, yeah, this is weird, mate. Even the way it feels in my hand. Uh, <laughs> Actually, this is getting a bit that, sexual. Yeah. <laughs> but it is, to be honest. Yeah, I've put on makeup and everything for it. I mean, you know, I haven't had it in a long time. Uh, so you might as well put in the effort. You know? I'm talking about podcasting. Uh, but I think for comedians, yeah. sometimes stand-up comedy is more sexual than sex. Oh, definitely. <laughs> definitely. I mean, because sex can be done sort of... Sex is great, but have you ever gigged to a stag party and not been violently killed? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I haven't. Uh, <laughs> What's your best uh, stand-up comedy memory? Do you have a sort of memory where you felt like, oh, I'm totally flying here? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So what happened back in the day, because uh, like, I'm a lady that is uh, fat, right? And what people used to think was my kryptonite was insinuating that they were sexually attracted to me from the audience. So I remember once I had a man miming how he was going to have sex with me. And then I accused him of... Uh, well, actually, I can't say it on this podcast. But I you got can, you can. We can edit it out. Just well, tell I us. We won't tell anyone. Can everyone just not tweet what Alison's going to say? Um. It's true. We do say a lot of stuff we would never put out on the podcast, so strap in. 
so basically, like everyone was sitting down and he had stood up. He was very drunk. It was at a music festival. It was going as well as you think it would. And <laughs> he stood up and he was like miming. He was like, oh, I'm going to have sex with you. And he was doing the movements he thought uh, looked good, but no, did not. <laughs> you know, I'd be surprised if he's ever uh, made a woman come. Uh, but <laughs> look, I was at my lowest and I was like, you want to do that to a kid? And then I got people to chant the word pedo at him until he left. <laughs> so, Is that your best stand-up yeah. memory? <laughs> wow. <laughs> because the funniest thing was just watching people pass by the tent and going, why are, like, 400 people chanting pedo? Oh, <laughs> my God. Listen. An incredible new band. <laughs> wow. Yeah. You are... Wow. That, that's <laughs> not what I thought was you were going to say at all. What, what did you think... I s- I don't know, but I see why you wanted to censor it. I know. <laughs> oh, it could be like, oh, I, I did the... Where's that great gig we did last year that Adele played at that's really famous in Britain? The great gig we did where Adele played? She wasn't at it, but she had played that venue. Latitude? <laughs> no, no, it's the big, the big building. Royal Albert Hall. Royal, yes, there we go. Oh, the Royal Albert Hall. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like I that could, is a good gig. I could have I'd said, agreed. you know, I've done the Royal Albert Hall or I got 400 people at Chapedo. Yeah, right, uh, sure. You know. That's very much the psyche of a stand-up comic, to be fair. <laughs> My worst yeah. story like that is I was in Australia, I was in Melbourne, and there's a club called the Highland Club that happens at the Melbourne Comedy Festival, and it, it opens at 1 a.m., and they put the headliner on first oh. because if they put the headliner on last, no one would watch them because everyone's too drunk. So it's the only gig in the world that I know of where the headliner has to go on first so that the audience can recognise them. <laughs> and uh, so I was hosting it. I was emceeing it. So it was my job to get the people in the room to uh, form what we in the business call an audience because <laughs> uh, they were all just a sort of riot of drunks. And uh, just some you know, loud Aussie guy, and I say this with love, as I am also Australian, just shouted, um, do jokes about periods and childbirth. I assume, because he had correctly identified that I am a woman. (laughs) And he thought those were the two proper subjects for a woman to be discussing on stage. And I reached for, again, 1am, and I'm not ashamed because it was the right thing to do. But, you know, the, listen... Did you make a, them shout pedo? No, I didn't. Okay. But in all of your jobs, there'll be moments where you go, this is the right thing to do. I'm not ashamed of it because it's the right thing to do, but nor am I proud of it. But when he shouted, do jokes about periods and childbirth, I said, just because I've got a cunt and you are one doesn't mean I have to do jokes about them. <laughs> This is not what anyone thought it would be at two o'clock. We thought this would be a charming tea time show, but I'm we've already said pedo and the C word. Yeah, I know. that sounds like a sitcom. Pedo and the C word. <laughs> Coming to you on Adult Swim. Like. <laughs> 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 I'm so sorry, everyone. We're a yes. bit overexcited because we've been allowed out of our houses. I know. This um, is not normally. When I say we normally, you know, we're a little bit more unfettered in real life than we are on the podcast. That is true, but mm. it's not as true as it is today. Yes. Um, <laughs> this is The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and the hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. I'm Deborah Francis-White. With me is Alison Spittle, and today we're talking about justice. Woo! 
so on the subject of justice, yeah. do you feel, as a feminist, your mm-hmm. job is to fight for justice? Oh, all the time, just because I just feel very angry, you know, <laughs> generally. Have you always been angry about injustice, or is this something that grew on you as you got older? No, I've, um, I'm going to try and think of the first time I was angry. I no. think children have an enormous sense of injustice. Not usually... I mean, this generation of children have an enormous sense of injustice for the world. Mm. But when I was a child, we were not told about the world. Oh, we, yeah. I got... We just didn't have access to any information. Uh, so we were just very angry about things like she got four sweets and I only got three sweets. Yeah. Or it wasn't fair because... You know, you said we couldn't do that, then she did it, and then nothing happened to her. And then that time, three months ago, when I did that, you got angry with me, Mm. blah, blah, blah. Do you remember that as a child? Yeah. Like how infuriated you would be by unfairness. Yeah. Children actually don't mind strictness. They can't bear unfairness. I remember my friend Julie kicked me out of our girl band, um, (laughs) the Glitter Babes, right? That's what we were called. The Glitter Babes. The Glitter Babes, yeah. Because we liked glitter and we were nine years old. Excellent. No, <laughs> and good, we liked good, use of, good use of the term babe, if anything. Well, sh- we, sugar babes were big at the time and uh, we didn't want to copy them outright, so we went for glitter. And, well well uh, done, dodging the, legi- the legal nightmare that would have been for you. I in know. In the playground when the sugar babes heard that you were nicking their act. So good, good. That, was, that was strong work. Yeah, but like we were Irish, so we could have been like calling ourselves like the provisional sugar babes or... <laughs> The real sugar, but you need to know more about the IRA, guys. If, <laughs> if any of my jokes are going to work. We're gonna <laughs> so, like, yeah, I got kicked out of the band, The Glitter Babes. And uh, we were supposed to audition for a TV talent show. And uh, I went up on my own. I decided I had written the letter. I'll go up representing The Glitter Babes. Oh, wow. It had disbanded. And uh, I didn't get on the telly. Uh, <laughs> so it's this like, you know, on the X Factor where sometimes a band goes on and then they just go, actually, we just want you, Susan. Yeah. Is there any way in which you would ditch your twin sister and the best friend you've had since you were five years old? And then she goes, oh, it'd be a really difficult... Yes, yes, I would. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Was it a bit like that? I did that process before the TV bit. I was like, they'll want to get rid of them. Uh, so I'll did you go and audition for the X Factor? Well, it was like called Starstream. That's what it was called. It was a kids' TV show, oh. and uh, I sang "I'm Like a Bird" by Nelly Furtado. I thought I gave it the gravitas that it deserved, but nah, nah, they weren't Could into that. Could you do a bit of it for us now? Just do you really? Yeah. Would well, you want to hear the song that we wrote together? Oh as a yes, kid? please. Yes. Okay. 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 Here's the exclusive. <coughs> so it goes. High is high, low is low, this is where I like to go. Come with me and you'll see where I like to be, baby, baby, baby. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, <that> was... <laughs> I didn't think I'd be doing this. <laughs> that was wow. it. Yeah, and the chorus was just us going, uh-huh, yeah. Mm. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? It's not worse than anything Stockake and Waterman did I in the know. 80s, to Thank be honest. you. <laughs> yeah. I feel like you've missed your calling almost. Luckily, you're so funny, it's all right. And also, you can have a longer career in comedy than you can in pop. Well, I was playing the long game, and I was just waiting for this opportunity to come up. And uh, I'm available, guys. Uh, okay, good. <laughs> still not too late. But it's it is too late. late for the Glitter Babes. Julie, you can get stuffed. Uh, <laughs> well, look, we're going to talk more about justice later when yes. our guest comes on. 
And that will be a sort of more serious form of feminist justice. Uh, it won't all be about the fact that I also got... What's your justice? Uh, I was talking all about my girl band and I didn't yeah. let you talk. I'm sorry. Well, Have you ever been in a girl band? I know. I was wanted to audition for the... Um, there was a, like a girl band in school dance competition. Miss Power could have been named by Charles Dickens, who was our teacher... <laughs> I remember said there would be an inter-school dancing competition. And so I did jazz ballet after school. So I was like, yeah, it was just a sort of ride inappropriately to pop music. But I was right down for that. And I remember the day she walked around the class and she said, Raj, today we're going to choose the girls for the inter-school dancing competition. All the blonde girls stand up. And all the blondes stood up. And she went, right, go and stand over there by the wall. And then she went down picking the girls she thought were the prettiest. You, you, you. And Janine Henney. Now, Janine Henney had brown hair, but she was an awesome dancer and she had trophies to prove it. And it was that day that I realised that if you were brunette, you needed a talent. (laughs) That hair colour was not going to see you through. I mean, this story would be incredibly racist, except the whole class was white because it was sort of, you know, this beach town in Australia where, you know, it was just, it was an extremely white area. Uh, But she would not have cared. She would not have cared. She herself was brunette. And it, so this was a piece of self-loathing that somehow blondes were better. And I remember at seven thinking, how old would I be before I'm allowed to dye my hair blonde? Because I just thought, well, this is clearly where it's at. Um, so this piece of injustice, uh, I wasn't really aware at the time it was unfair. I just thought I'd been born with the wrong hair. You know, I thought, well, you know, clearly God has not blessed me. But one time I told this story as part of a wider storytelling show and I saw someone in the audience, everyone was laughing and I saw someone in the audience just looking horrified and I looked further and I went are you Joe Burnett? And she nodded. And this was a school friend of mine who hadn't told me she was coming to the show. I hadn't seen her in years. She just turned up. And I went, you got picked for that inter-school dancing competition, didn't you? And she went, yes, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and afterwards, we went for a drink. This is true. And we went for a drink. And um, I said, do you remember all the blonde girls stand up? And she said, I have no memory of her saying that. And her husband said, of course she didn't, because that's the bit that you edit out if you're in the privileged group. And, of course, there would be other things I don't remember. I don't remember all the white people stepped forward, but clearly that's happened a million times in my life. But I don't remember that part. I just remember how hard it was for me to get beyond this or get beyond that. With injustice, I think it's always good to, A, check, is this just normal to me or is this unjust? And, secondly, when are you in the group that he's just asked to step forward. And there were blonde girls who probably felt devastated because they were lined up against a wall and then chosen as not pretty enough. Mm. Like, I was edited out before, well, but I didn't make the blonde edit. So I don't, my looks were never even um, considered. So do you see what I mean? Like, there's so many different ways. And I'm sure then in the bus of the girls that were chosen, there was bullying and there was this one's better dance than this one. And, you know, but I never got as far as the bus. Don't go on about it. <laughs> I never got as far as the bus. Are you ready for some stand-up comedy? Then please welcome to the mic, the incredible Alison Spittle. Hello. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. I'm going to talk to you about something that I wrote at the start of the year about my hopes for 2020. (laughs) (laughs) For the apt. Okay. (laughs) So, so, um, right. 
New Year, new me and all that jazz. I've stopped beating myself up about how much I weigh at the start of the year. And instead, I beat myself up about how happy I am at the start of the year. I check in with myself like a passive-aggressive woman that I went to secondary school with. Yeah, but are you really happy, Alison? <laughs> yes, I am, Julie. Shut up. <laughs> I planned this New Year's Eve properly. I was flying back to London early to a London friend's house warming, right? She was going to prepare a buffet. I was sold. I've never been to a buffet in someone's house that didn't have a corpse at it. Uh, <laughs> and I was very excited. <laughs> I'm very excited. Uh, a wonderful London glamour life, a cosmopolitan buffet. And maybe, just maybe, there would be fireworks. When I lived in Dublin, I heard fireworks. I ran away from fireworks while young men threw fireworks at me when I walked the wrong way from Lidl. But I've never seen fireworks uh, from my own will. As the plane landed, I got a text and a picture of unopened moving boxes. My friend is cancelling the party. There is no London glamour buffet for me. I spent the evening dragging my so heavy it warranted an airline sticker suitcase up several flights of stairs, hearing New Year's Eve parties through front doors of my neighbour's flats and congratulating myself for being able to recognise the music. <laughs> I'm still with it. <laughs> I know what Dance Monkey is. <laughs> Who sang it? I've no idea. Um, I've realised I've come to the age where I discover chart music now through wedding discos. I've reached that stage. <laughs> I live in a high-rise flat and I can see the BT tower from my bedroom slash dining room slash kitchen. Uh, and if I squint hard enough, I can see the London Eye. There's a roundup of the 2010s on a TV and it shows a terrorist attack that, and literal wars that have kept me up at night at a time with anxiety. But with time, I've forgotten. There's just too much news to remember. It feels like pop music. At some point, you give up keeping up. And then you start to wonder if Billie Eilish is a pop star or involved in a military coup. <laughs> Why not both? Uh, <laughs> it felt wonderfully perverse scrolling through Twitter as people listed off their achievements for the year. And even worse, their achievements for the decade. And I was eating a pot noodle and in my pyjamas at half eleven on New Year's Eve. My hand twitched, right, and pressed on the taxi app and I realised that I could get to Primrose Hill within 15 minutes and see all of the London skyline. Uh, for the new year. I thought no one else would have ever thought of this idea. <laughs> <laughs> and I was very clever. <laughs> Without thinking, I put on a hat and a coat over my pyjamas and I clicked confirm, right? Within three minutes, I was in a car. My taxi driver was the first person I'd spoken to in hours. He told me that the surcharge would be crazy after midnight and that he's on until 5am and he likes to read books in the new year. And he asked me what I wanted for the new year and I fell silent. What do I want? To be more happy. Well, how do I achieve that? Is there a tea that I can buy off Instagram for that? <laughs> I found it easier to lie and say that I wanted to take up jogging. As the clock hit 5 to 12, I hopped out of the car and ran towards the hill. Drunk pals were dragging drunker pals like they were in a war. Dads, <laughs> dads were jogging with small children on their shoulders, bobbing like boys in a choppy sea. And we all wanted to see the same thing. We're all running out of time. I ran through the gates and the unfamiliar feeling of lactic acid hitting my calves. <laughs> and my chest tightened. Oh, the cold air is burning my throat. The park was packed and I could see that the outline of thousands of heads, all with the same idea as me. The crowd got louder. They were counting down, but I couldn't make out the numbers. 
They got louder and louder, and the space got tighter. And people, I oh know, I'm never going to feel that again. Um, <laughs> as people heaved forward for a peek at the new year, I heard a massive cheer, but all I could see was the back of a couple shifting the face off each other, right? <laughs> That's kissing with tongue. All I could hear was a lone drunk woman shouting, Sharon, behind me. <laughs> and then it started, the shifting en masse. And it just began to sound like a rainforest. <laughs> I felt like I was on underage disco all over again. I felt my chest tighten. The air tasted different. It was gunpowdery and my hand brushed my pocket where I normally keep my inhaler. Oh, this coat has no pockets. I'm going to die because I tried to have a good time on New Year's Eve. But most of all, I'm going to die because the patriarchy refuses to put pockets on women's clothing. <laughs> I started to laugh and I laughed harder and somehow it helped me go put more air. The fireworks stopped and people started moving away from the hill. I went with the flow of people and I was just laughing harder and harder. I had to step on a curb and I looked up and I stopped. I could see the full London skyline. Now, there was no fireworks, that was over a long time ago. But it was all covered in a haze. And it was like London was the stage for an Enya concert. <laughs> it was beautiful. I got my breath back and I stood still and I took it all in. And I was glad I tried. This year, I'm going to try more. And also take up jogging. <laughs> as my calves are still not right. <laughs> Thank you so much, guys. Have a lovely day. Please welcome to the stage, Deborah Francis White. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about my time in, in lockdown, because lockdown's alleviated a little bit. We know that because we're outside in a garden. That's what we do now. We go to our friends' houses who have gardens, or in my case, like a tiny terrace, and we sit two metres away from each other. It's the same as before, except that I'm still not wearing trousers. Um, I'm... <laughs> just turning up going uh, they, listen they're used to seeing me from here up I just say don't look down below um, first Thursday after serious lockdown alleviated at eight o'clock I came out onto the street to applaud my waxing team um, where were you I assumed more of us would be out um, my waxer did come around because you're not allowed to go out to a uh, salon yet uh, but she's coming to the house and it was, she's Australian, and it was like a really, it was a real thing. I mean, she was very happy to be back at work, but it was a bit like visiting a mechanic, you know, where they just kind of look under the hood and go, let's see what we're dealing with here. <laughs> oh, let's have a look. I've seen some, I'll tell you, I've seen some egregious things this week. Uh, back, out, back out on the horse, and I mean, my God, I've seen some egregious things, and I just need to prepare myself before I have a good look. Uh, for what, what has been happening down there. Now, the first thing I need to ask you is, have you touched the area yourself at all? And I was like, no, I haven't. I've just absolutely let it go wild. I haven't done any shaving. I've done no plucking. I've done no homework. So she said, oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. You wouldn't believe the nightmares I've seen on these home jobs. People should not be allowed to do this themselves. There should be some kind of law in place where it needs to be done by a professional. You know, you wouldn't just go taking your own tonsils out, would you? And yet... <laughs> 
women have been down there. They've been taking razors under where they can't even see, you know. And I'm, I'm now have, I'm stuck in this situation. I'm having to fix up the messes. And uh, she said, "What I want to hear is you've done nothing. You've touched nothing. You've trimmed nothing. You've been down." I said, "Look." Honestly, I mean, what's the point? You know, we're in lockdown. I don't know what the point is normally, to be honest. It's not like I turn up showing it to anyone. It's just a feeling. I don't know. Um, I'm not saying no one has ever seen it. I'm just saying it's not... (laughs) Given the amount of time I spend on it, it's very little time. It's not commensurate with the time and money. Anyway, what I'm saying is she was so happy when she saw it, she kind of gasped. She went, oh, this is a beautiful example of what to do. Uh, in lockdown, it's a beautiful, do nothing. And this is what you get. But it's, you know, it's going to take a while, though. It's quite, it's quite overgrown. It was like, it was just the way she went in, almost like with a big cup. It was like, you know those videos you see of deforestation where a bulldozer is just coming at some trees and there's an elephant nearby going, no. I could hear like the little elephants down there going, no, you're taking my natural habitat. Um, I'm not implying I have crabs. It's a metaphor. Um, um, yeah, I like an Australian waxer. I do enjoy an Australian waxer. I used to have very, I used to only have a tidy and a waxer once said to me, and I just said, just anything outside the pants sort of thing. And she went, oh yeah, you don't want koala ears. Um, that is true. That is a true story. Uh, she was the first one who ever gave me a Brazilian accidentally by, she kept on tidying she kept on going oh I just need to take a bit more off the back oh that's a bit no that's not it's crooked now um, and uh, at the end I swear this is true she said oh I'm sorry love I'm going to have to charge you for the full Brazilian <laughs> it's all gone and I, I paid her and tipped and that's how I knew I was now British and not Australian um, and it's a bit like paying someone to tidy your house and coming home and finding they've robbed the whole place blind and thinking well admittedly there is no clutter um <laughs> It's, that was what it was like and pay, pay no, no, I would still pay you your hourly rate sure you've, still, you've got my piano but still um, so this is a bit of an I'm a feminist but I'm a feminist but uh, my friend lives in Camden you might know her Ellen Jones uh, she's been on the podcast before and Ellen was saying to me hasn't the cat calling got worse during lockdown and I was like yeah <laughs> she was like you know I just it's just terrible and I was like yeah it's really awful how people keep shouting at me you're incredibly sexually attractive um and i'm like of course i don't want any cat calling ever i don't want anyone to be cat called but also i'm a socialist and if it is going to be distributed <laughs> i want it to be distributed equally i don't want if i was out with ellen and they were all shouting at her and not shouting at me i'd be like horrified they were shouting at ellen but also in, in wrongly insulted i don't understand what the feeling is but I feel like I shouldn't be feeling it. And then she said, because I run, and she said, I think, you know, your breasts bounce when you run. I think that's it. And I was like, oh, my God, that's it. That's it. It's fine. I don't run. I stroll. Um, But the next time I went out to Primrose Hill, I thought, I'll speed up a bit just to see. I mean, it's been great for my cardio still to hear a single insulting compliment. Um, And that's good. I don't want it. I genuinely don't want it, though. I genuinely, I hate it if it happens. Just don't want any. I don't want any woman to be heckled in the street for fucking walking or running or lying down or standing up. Or so. I don't want that for anybody. And I definitely don't want it for some women and not others. Um, <laughs> I have been dancing in lockdown. Um, I've been learning to dance. I've been talking about this. If anyone's been listening to the podcast we've been doing in Zoom, mostly because I thought I could turn this whole lockdown experience into a dirty dancing montage. <laughs> 
uh, I thought it'll go faster if I'm dancing every day. So I've had a, a dance teacher and she's been teaching me. I don't want to overstretch what I've done, but I have been dancing every single day for five months. So I don't want you to have very high expectations of my ability now, but I do want you to know I've been doing it every day for five months. So I've obviously <laughs> am better than I was. And um, look, what I'm saying to you is my body rolls now are fucking adequate. And... <laughs> They're amazingly adequate. And, but my body didn't want to do that. Some things my body can do straight away. And my dance teacher will say, oh, you've just picked that up really quickly. And most people find that hard. And you've picked that up really quickly. And there are some things my body just doesn't want to do. And body rolls, like, honestly, I could be in tears over it. Because I was like, I don't understand because I'm doing exactly what you're doing. But it doesn't look like anything. Because you can see yourself on Zoom when you're dancing. Because you can see her and you. That's the idea of it. So it's sort of like a mirror. I just don't know. It's just my body just didn't want to do that. Um, my body was going... My body, musical theatre style dancing, kind of jazz and stuff like that. It's happy to do that. But with body rolls, I think my body was just saying, you're just not that sexy. We're not sexy. Stop that. Um, and so I, she would be like... Uh, and I would be like... Tits in, out. Uh, uh, uh. This is not great podcast material, to be honest with you. Um, and I, my body was like, you're just not that sexy. We don't want to do that. Did you learn nothing from the run you went on? And look, I still believe, I still believe I'm highly desirable and I want my hips to tell that story. So I'm pushing through. Um, the story my hips generally tell is we can bear children. Um, that is a lie. I'm a spectacularly barren. Um, I tried to... I'm spectacularly barren. I tried to have children and, and failed. But now I am quite pleased about that because all my friends who have children in lockdown um, are <laughs> desperate. They are desperate people now because nobody told them that one day the state could just go, we're not having them anymore. We don't want them at all now. Like, no... I had these on the agreement that you would take them pretty much 70% of the time. No. No, we're not going to do that now. And there's a really good reason you can't even fucking complain about it. Even though we're a Tory government, we're doing the right thing by making you mind your children all of the time. But I only like my children if they're only here a little bit of the time. If they're all of the time, I hate my children. You're making me hate my children. Yeah. You should have thought of that, shouldn't you? So this is the upside of being spectacularly barren. Uh, at no point does anybody say, you've got to live with your podcast 24-7. You can just not do it. <laughs> um, so if you do have children, I'm sorry for you. Uh, but also, you know, listen, when they're older, they'll look back on this time and with you and they will have something to talk about with to their therapist. Um, <laughs> because as much as you hate being with them all the time and as much as you've discovered you don't really love your children as much as you thought you did. <laughs> I've had friends say that to me directly. I, I, thought I, would, I thought I loved this child so much. Turns out, no. I only love them when I'm seeing them between three and six and then they go and watch TV or go on YouTube and then I put them to bed and I love the bit with the story time. I don't love the bit where I shout at them to get their shoes on. I love the bit of the story time. Between those hours, I don't really see them, so I don't know how I feel about them. Um, now I know. And uh, the news that I have for you is your children feel the same. They thought they loved you. They've discovered no. They just hate school. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, please don't email telling me that you love your children and they love you. I know. It's a joke. Um, um, 
Stand-up is a crude tool. Hello, Guilty Feminist. It's Deborah here, just letting you know we have a Guilty Feminist recording coming up, which is live. You can come to it. Now, we were delighted to be part of the New Normal Festival, nothing to do with the Instagram show of the same name. And it has been such a success that they've extended it. And we're doing another recording on the 31st of August at 7.30pm. Check out the Guilty Feminist website for tickets. And although the Edinburgh Fringe Festival has been sadly cancelled for 2020, the Sheddonborough Fringe Festival has just started. Streaming from the 14th of August, you can see an amazing line of comedians, storytellers and theatre, including my award-winning show, Deborah Francis-White Rolls the Dice, about finding my birth mother. I would love you to see it because I haven't done it since I started doing The Guilty Feminist and it's a very personal show to me. It's on Friday the 4th of September at 7.30pm London time and it will be live streamed. All proceeds from ticket sales will go towards financially supporting future young emerging artists and creatives with grants to help them make it to Edinburgh for the first time. Go to sheddenborough.com for details and to book for my show and a host of others. Also, we've got brand new merch, um, mugs, T-shirts, etc. at guiltyfeminist.com and all the proceeds uh, go to our POC for good things. And now back to the podcast. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Our guest today is a barrister specializing in criminal and family law. In her book, In Black and White, she tells her story of race and class in a broken justice system. Please welcome to the stage the incredible Alexandra Wilson! (laughs) Hello, Alexandra. So uh, the first thing I really want to say to you, Alexandra, is you're a lawyer, so your mother must be really proud of you. Um, I need to tell you, my mother is also really proud of you. Um, yes, yeah, she, she wanted me to be a lawyer. And, and 
But do you know what? She never mentions it now once every three months. And uh, that's, I appreciate that. Uh, so she would have loved, she would have loved me to be in a wig. And I think it's a quite similar job to stand-up comedian, really. Mm. You have to weave a story. You have to entertain the audience. You have to be convincing. If you're not convincing, you lose them. Yeah. All of that sort of thing. But you, you, you have to work for terrible people, even though you know they've well, done crimes. I mean, all of mine are innocent, obviously. <laughs> I, I, I mean, how... Do you feel, I mean, because your book is about being a black woman in justice mm. and about racial and gender lines and class lines in justice, do you ever feel like, oh my God, sometimes I'm defending the patriarchy? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's something that my friends ask about a lot. And the way I kind of sit with that, you know, people are like, how do you sleep at night? And the honest answer is because I genuinely think that everyone deserves proper representation. Mm. And, you know, I have brothers, I have a dad... I have cousins and uncles who are men and I just think if they were accused of something, I would want someone to be wholeheartedly representing them. So that's how I sleep at night, guys. <laughs> In case anyone's wondering. Wow, yeah. I mean, I suppose everyone deserves a fair trial. And it must be very personally times you must have to really compartmentalise though. Yeah, definitely. I think I, mean, I suppose what... that's the skill of being a lawyer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there have been some really tricky cases. So one of the cases that I, I personally found most difficult was uh, in prison already. He was applying uh, for release. And so I was representing him at a parole hearing. And that's really difficult because it's not one of those situations, you know, we always get asked, how do you feel representing someone who you think is guilty? And in this case, it was, well, I know he's guilty because, you know, he pleaded guilty and he served 20 years in prison. And so that was difficult before I got there. And then once I got there, it was just like any other client. You know, I got there and I was so worried the night before. I remember talking to my parents and... My mum was like, oh, I, don't know how you, I don't know how you're doing that. She was like, you might want to think of a career change. <laughs> Thanks, mum, I've got this far. Um, so your mum isn't proud of you. So no, exactly, exactly. Do you know what? It's really good to know that whatever you do, your mum's not proud of you. No, I feel yeah. like that's important information. That's what I'm taking away from this. That is, that is what oh, my God. I mean, I suppose you can't say, I'll take this case and not that case. That's no, no you're not exactly. allowed to do it. Exactly, exactly. So there's a cab rank rule, and literally like a cab rank. Um, so the first case that comes along and is of your level you have to do it I think it's a really good system because it means that it's not held against you if you represent certain clients because everyone understands that everyone has to represent anyone when you get a bit more senior it's a bit more you know they say it's cab rank but it's not really it's the the cases that are high profile and stuff it's more like calling a personal chauffeur yeah yeah exactly exactly no one's waiting for, for, for the cab you know i mean we do want to live in a world where we have a good strong legal justice system and we do want to live in a world where everyone's represented so i can't think of any other way around it what's it like for you being a lawyer because you're very young Yeah, I think sometimes that can be a good thing. Sometimes it can be a bad thing. Being young means that sometimes clients can kind of look at you and be like, where's my actual lawyer? You know, (laughs) because they see you turn up and assume that you're like an intern or, you know, someone just helping out. But then once you get going, I think, you know, all of my clients so far, keep my fingers crossed, have felt fine about it. But also that can play out in court. And one of the things that I quite like about wearing a wig and gown is, because there's a lot of controversy about it at the bar, it's always being debated. But I quite like the fact that it puts everyone on a level playing field. It's kind of like a uniform. So, you know, you have that wig on, you have the gown on, and we're all equals. Mm -hmm. So for me, that's a really big thing. And maybe it's because I look different from a lot of other barristers that I quite like the fact that it creates... You know, for some people, it might not be a big deal because they'll be like, oh, I look like every other white man here. But for me, Mm -hmm. you know, it's It's a a costume that says you must respect. 
exactly. me, it's my turn to talk. Precisely. And I've done the exams and I know yeah. what I'm doing. Yeah, exactly. I've never thought of it that way before. Yeah. Mm. Is there any part of you, Alison, because I think it's a sort of similar job description to stand-up comedian in some way. Is there any part of you that fancies being in a courtroom drama and banging your fists <laughs> on tables and being, being Objection. in a... Objection! You can't do that in Britain. There's you no can't. Objective. I can confirm. You can't can do you that. Not? No. Is it anything you can shout? Can you go like, pedo? pedo. No. <laughs> no. No. You definitely cannot chant. <laughs> pedo. Guilty. <laughs> the crowd have said. Like, wow. No. I think there's a lot, a lot less drama than people think. You know, you kind of see these American dramas and it's like people are going around the courtroom and it's all really, really exciting. Yeah. Like, I mean, in no. the UK, it's literally like people are falling asleep. It's like trying to keep the jury awake. Like, that's the main thing. Right. You know, that's oh, it's the... not the thumping on tables. Oh, no, no, no. I've been to a court before. Yeah? I've been actually twice. Once... Oh, dear. Once as a, a support for someone who didn't tell me the full details of what they were getting done for. <laughs> and, that's uh, like my job. Yeah. <laughs> no one ever tells us. And when it got, when it got read out, I was like, oh, uh, <laughs> I've been misled. <laughs> Objection. <laughs> yeah. Just going to pop out. Um, and the other time is when I went to college, we had a law module and, we, and one of the requirements was we had to spend a day in court as a, you know, as an onlooker. And uh, I picked a juicy day. <laughs> I was amazing. So in Ireland, not that many murders happen. And when there's like sex involved, not, not like, I mean, like, I mean, it was an affair. No one actually... So what happened? I'll, te- I'll tell you what happened and then you can feel okay about it. Right. So... I don't think we're going to feel okay about I think, it. But okay, okay. I think you... So this woman was married to this man. She wasn't happy, right? And she just typed into Google, assassins, right? <laughs> so... So she's having an old Google and uh, she found a guy <laughs> and they were having a chat and he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll do that for you, love, no problem. Uh, just fly me over from Las Vegas, right? So she flew him over and he was telling her, oh, I'm going to put stuff in his contact lenses, no one will know, all this, like just filling her up with like, I'm going to assassinate him so good. And um, <laughs> nah, he didn't. Like he just came over and said, nah, I'm not going to do this. Uh, thank you though for the flights. And, <laughs> and then the police found out that she was looking for uh, an assassin. And the husband was like, I still love her. Like, we're going to be together. Uh, I forgive, you know? I know. Are you sure this isn't a plot line for The Bold and the Beautiful? Mate, I was living. I was sitting there like, thank you, court Jesus. Like, you know, (laughs) for bestowing this juicy court case with no murder. I thought you were going to say she took him to court for not doing the hit after he'd, she'd paid for his trip from Las Vegas. Well, the strange thing I'm not was, sure you can see for that. On the false pretenses. <laughs> yeah, you, it's like when Thomas Cook leaves you stranded and you're like, I'm going to get on to the Assassin's uh, Bureau about this. You want to watch that, Anne Robinson. She needs a murder. Um, so I was sitting there and all these other people, they had flasks, they had lunch boxes. These people were like rigged out for a long day. Anyway, I was there and I went to the toilet. This is the glamorous bit, right? And <laughs> this is, I went to the toilet in the court because I was like, you know, I like going to the toilet in government places. Uh, <laughs> what? Why? Because then I could be like, take that, you know? <laughs> Okay, okay. And also... I'm now going to think about every time I go to the toilet, of course. 
<laughs> Take that, society. <laughs> but also, like, they're just a more glamorous toilet. I feel, you know, they've got the government funding. It's going to be soap. Like, it's always good. <laughs> so I was there in the toilet, but there was this policewoman guarding the other toilet. I was like, what's going on here? I went in, and like, I could hear, like, I could hear, right? <laughs> Guess who came out? Just a person, the woman that, like, uh, what, what do I call her? Like a defendant. Defendant, yeah, that's the technical term. She came out, I was like, I've just heard the piss of evil. Do you know? I was like, can't believe this. Did she go down? Oh, that, yeah, this is the weird thing. And like, I'll chat with you after. So she went down for conspiracy to murder, right? The guy? Nah. So I'm like, who's she in a conspiracy with herself? Because if he's not found guilty, yeah, yeah. What? And I was smoking at the time, and he, the other defendant went out for a cigarette, and I was totally listening. I was like, he said nothing, though. Uh, but <laughs> God, it's so film noir, this Isn't whole it? thing. I wow. know. And a lady gave me her sandwiches. It was the best day. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is a phenomenal Sorry. story. <laughs> it's, it, it's hard to think that your book contains anything more exciting. <laughs> Uh, but I'm sure it does. Next title for your next book, Piss of Evil. Yeah. <laughs> My publisher's over there, so yeah. that's okay. we'll get a mini series based on it. We'll get like uh, Phoebe Waller Bridge, you know. <laughs> like, sorry. I mean, in a very real way. Good luck pitching Phoebe Waller Bridge, Piss of Evil. But listen, she did Broadchurch, so you don't know. Um, can I just ask? Backstage, you were talking about some of the experiences that you have and things that are said to you. Do you think it's uh, youth, gender, race? And what kind of things are said to you? Yeah, I think it's a real mix. I think the bar still has a long way to go. I remember there was a case where I was still a pupil barrister, so a trainee barrister. And I was on a case with loads of senior barristers. And, they, you know, they were all men. And I remember the person that I was shadowing was, you know, giving his speech to the jury. And as part of what he was saying, he was saying, you know, the evidence is circumscribed by... And this other male barrister next to me leans over and he goes, you know, I'm not circumcised. And I was what? like... He's like, I'm Catholic. Oh, God, that does sound like... And I was literally like, okay. <laughs> I just turned around. And it's like creepy comments like that. I can, that can I just yeah, say, young like, women as a bar. Catholic, that's like... <laughs> There's no... There's no link. There's nothing in that for you. Like, can I say, you'll just get a load of guilt. You know what I mean? What, you don't, you're not implying that the guilt travels on the foreskin. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure how this conversation has taken this turn. This one, this- um, that's maybe your third book, The Guilt Travels on the Foreskin. After, after the Piss of Evil. The Guilty Foreskin. It's a trilogy. Be, the Guilty Foreskin could be a great spin-off for us, though. It really could. We just hired two uncircumcised blokes to just do it and, let, and franchise it. There we go. Yeah. It's perfect. This is, this is, these are just suggestions. Not all of them are gold. Um, <laughs> what? Um, so your book itself, um, it's titled In Black and White, and it's about racial and class injustice, presumably gender injustice. Can you tell us a little bit about what's in your book? Yeah, of course. It's about my experiences, kind of, you know, joining the bar and my first year as a pupil barrister. 
And so in the book, I talk a bit about my personal experiences kind of being in a profession that's still very, you know, middle class, very white. It's seen as very elitist. It, and it, well, it is because it's so expensive to break into. Like the training course, just by way of example, is £19,000. It's a lot. <laughs> um, and, you know, and then up until this year, your first year of training, you could be paid as low as 12000 for the year. So, you know, there's your training course is a lot more expensive than what you then actually get paid. It has now gone up to 18,000, but did you notice that's still just under the course? Um, So it's kind of going through my experience of that first year, some of my cases and some of the experiences that I've had, some of the clients that I've come into contact with. And the kind of aim was really to give a new perspective on the justice system. You know, I think a lot of us aren't acquainted with the justice system until it's too late, in inverted commas. So sometimes it'll be that, you know, actually you've been caught up in something it might be that you're going through a divorce it might be that your kids are taken into care there's so many ways that people are kind of brought into the justice system but they don't know much about it until they're there Mm. Um, and so my my whole thing was to try and make it a bit more accessible to shout out another author the secret barrister has done a brilliant job i don't know if anyone's read the secret barrister's book Mm -hmm. absolutely brilliant job but obviously they're anonymous, so <laughs> you don't know who they are. Uh, and mine's kind of... The Banksy of law. The Banksy of law, exactly, exactly. <laughs> mine's quite different in that you very much know who I am and my experiences are very much told from being a young black woman who was not from a privileged background. And yeah, hopefully that's a good summary of my that book. That sounds so. great. That's yeah. great. Thanks, everyone. Can you, yeah. tell, can you tell us a story from the book that kind of highlights some kind of injustice that you see that is motivated by some kind of identity? I was representing a defendant and he was a young black boy. And I got to court that morning and we were in the, the robing room. It's called the robing room. It's kind of where you go to get changed because you don't go to court in your wig and gown. <laughs> Otherwise, people might be like, what on earth? Um, so yeah, so you, you go and get changed in the robing room. And generally, barristers will have a bit of a chit-chat about their cases. You know, sometimes you'll ask for a bit of advice on something. Sometimes it'll just be a general chit-chat. And quite often, the topic is who your judge is because obviously, as I'm sure you can imagine, who your judges can make quite a difference to the case. And so... I was in the robing room talking about my judge. I didn't know this judge. I was asking someone else, you know, what's this judge like? And the other barrister said to me, oh, you know, this judge is all right, but, you know, you should be glad that the racist judge retired. I was like, what? And he was like, yeah, like, you know, you'd have had no luck with him. And for me, that really hit me that that was even like a a normal thing to say, you know, that, that... People were considered racist judges and that was accepted. And I say accepted, I don't think anyone, you know, endorsed it, but it was, it was something that people knew and were aware of and were just operating alongside. And for me, that was, yeah, that really hit me. And I was like, how unfair is that? Mm-hmm. You know? How do we make law fairer? Because if you've got a course that's 19 grand and then your entry salary is very low, obviously if you're from a family who doesn't have that kind of money and they're concerned will you ever earn this back it's hard to get a pupillage if you are uh black or brown and you are you know it very recently they're like oh the racist judge has just retired therefore that's still endemic in the system like what can we do to make it fairer because all of that not just that that's all horrible and unfair but that plays out into why so many black and brown people are convicted so more readily what can we do about it (laughs) So I think I have to breathe before that one because 
you're right. All of that is so true. The fact that we see these huge systemic injustices play out in, you know, how many people are being arrested, the conviction rates, all of that is massively, massively impacted by the fact that actually the people representing and the people making the decisions are not representative of the population. What can we do about it? I mean, in terms of financially, I think one of the big things is that there are scholarships, but people don't know about them. And so like, one of the things that I really try and do is I try and improve visibility within the profession so that people know this stuff. I didn't do law at university. I did um, politics, philosophy and economics. So I had to do a conversion course. So I had to pay another 11000 before the 19000 And I was already in huge debt from university because my parents didn't pay for me to go to university. I had to get out loans. So... For that 11,000, I had to take out loans. I had to work. I did the course full time, but then worked three days a week. So I had to literally just catch up during like, you know, nights and evenings and stuff. And then I found out that there were scholarships. And I was like, why did no one tell me? Like, you know, and then I applied for one and my 19,000 was covered by a scholarship. And it's made a huge difference. There's no way I would have been able to just scrape together 19,000 pounds. You can't just go to the bank. Oh, excuse me, can I have 19,000 pounds? But my salary is going to be 12,000 next year. And it's not even guaranteed because we're self-employed. So, you know, I think people need to know what's out there. I think that's only going to come by barristers becoming a bit more visible and barristers telling, you know, aspiring barristers what's out there. And we need to do that in a bit more of a focused way, not going, you know, to Eton, like, or Westminster or St. Paul's, you know, those nice privileged private schools and being like, oh, yeah, come and join us. Here are all the scholarships available. We need to actually go to, like, inner city schools. We need to go to deprived areas. We need to not just go to Oxford and Cambridge. And I say that as someone who went to Oxford, but, you know, we need to go to other universities and actually talk to people and say, this is what's available this is how you do it. And then I think people might actually start to consider it because it's a huge risk. I completely agree. Mm. I think that's a... Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm sure your book will go some way to doing that because young people will see it and hear about it and go, oh, well, if you can do it, I can do it too. And representation is everything. I mean, I'm very admiring of your generation that you're only 25, you're already a barrister and you've got a book out. Um, yeah, where, uh, did you I, get the time for that? Like, <laughs> I mean, admiring, uh, also a bit irritated. Um, there's... You know, and you're wearing a really cool jumpsuit. So in a very real way, slow the fuck down. But uh, no, don't, don't, don't slow down. Don't slow down. It's, it's, it's amazing you're doing it. But if you are listening to this podcast and you're a young person and you're in any way interested in the law, you're good at arguing, you're somebody who cares about justice and you're thinking, but that's not for me. That's all done in big palatial buildings with people in wigs and gowns and they wouldn't have me. I wouldn't know how to get there. what Alexandra is saying is this is for you and honestly it's not going to get any better until we have more black and brown judges now if you watch American television you would be uh, forgiven for thinking every single judge in the world was a black man or a black woman because it's like the diversity hire it's like oh we forgot to put any black people in this show there's a judge 
She read The Judge, a black woman. Do you, you know, see that? It's like I watched a sitcom with S Club 7, and uh, yeah, there was a black judge in that. It's, all, it's always a sitcom <laughs> they, with S Club 7. They got off because they sang a song, which I don't think will work in court, would it? <laughs> I don't think so. No. Have you heard Alison's Glitter Babe song, though? Because I think that would turn I might the try hardest that, judge. Yeah. yeah, I think that it's might persuade any judge. <laughs> if I've got um, a difficult case. <laughs> <laughs> there was a boy band song, the sort of Love in the First Degree. Oh, do you know? that guys yeah the first, what's guilty it like? of love in the first degree oh but yeah. blue all rise oh. one for the money and the free ride it's two for the last suggesting <laughs> not all rise somebody to visit all rise i rest my case just doing a small seated body roll. I was inspired. Um, <laughs> I wish we had music as we walked into court. Just, yeah. You know, like boxes. Like, as the barrister comes in, we just have blue or rise playing in the background. Oh, yeah. that would be so <laughs> funny. It would be amazing, like, wrestling when you bring in, like, a surprise witness. Oh, my God, here he comes. <laughs> <laughs> you know? It's the man who was two doors down. He heard everything, you know? <laughs> <laughs> everything. <laughs> Have you ever done a case with a, a hitman? Um, no, but but recently uh, that hitman story was great. But recently, I don't know if anyone's seen in the news. There's been a um, I think it's really interesting. I hope everyone else does. Um, there's been a huge hack of an app basically called EncroChat. It's like WhatsApp, really, um, like an encrypted service that's on people's phones. Ooh. And people have been talking on those platforms about hitmans, hitmen, mans. What was it? Sorry, hitmen. Sorry, we probably. Actually, I'm, I'm a barrister here. Hit person. Hit person. That's what I was trying to do. Representation. Our representation. Women can do anything. You can do anything. I'm a feminist, but I said hitman, and I really meant hit person. I'm hit so person. Hit human being. Thank you. and and about drugs and it's and it's it's fascinating because people are talking as though no one will ever find these conversations because it's so encrypted and now it's been hacked and so that one of the most common things was you know you were saying about all these chats with a hip person and you know (laughs) and you'll be hearing loads more cases soon i think really oh i'm so excited i can't even imagine (laughs) not liking someone enough to go wouldn't you just leave them I mean I suppose there's some people that you can't leave there are some unleavable people yeah you'd have to be in fear of your own life but even then I don't know how I would I would just just start googling but now it's made really put me off because I'm a big Sondheim fan and it's really put me off googling assassins the musical because is that how they find you where you're like assassins cheap and then yeah exactly two for one deal two for one I I think like like people that are frustrated should learn to subtweet about people instead of getting assassins. I do it all the time. <laughs> do you know? I'm like, oh, some people, they're just so annoying. And that takes away my will to kill. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm fascinated that he was going to put something in someone's contact lenses. I've never heard of that. Yeah, I'm wondering like how they're going to die. Wrote plot or uh, Columbo. May, it was, yeah, it was funny. Do you know what the newspapers called her? They called her Lion Eyes because that was her, you know, this Eagles song. She was a fan of the Eagles and of murder. And um, <laughs> she, that was her pseudonym on the internet was, was Lion Eyes. I think it was 69, but maybe I'm just throwing that on myself. <laughs> you can't 
hide those line eyes. That's yeah, something. yeah. Wow. You can't hide your attempt at murder either, can no, you? No, as it turns out, you cannot. <laughs> no, he's um, waiting for her. She's still in prison. He's a great husband. Uh, <laughs> it sounds very Tiger King to me. Um, is there anything you came to say to um, leave on the table that you didn't get to say? The only thing I'd say is that if there are any young people listening, um, I do try and put lots of like sources of you know scholarships and information and things like that on social media so i'm my social media ca- uh, handle is essex barrister because i'm from essex <laughs> nice and creative essex barrister it's yeah. better than line eyes okay <laughs> thank you um, great and that's your is that your twitter and instagram twitter and instagram yeah okay essex barrister perfect got anything to plug alison oh yes uh so my social media is at alison spittle on instagram and on twitter and i got a new podcast called wheel of misfortune that i co-present with fern brady and it's all about the cringy horrible things that we laugh at so it will be funerals uh, mental breakdowns uh, what else did we do drugs oh we did one on drugs it was good fun so uh, not on drugs like the subject um, yeah I'm going to come and guest on this podcast <gasps> oh my god yes you are yeah yeah so uh, check out Wheel of Misfortune with Alison Spittle and Fern Brady I'm also doing a show called Shedinburgh uh, where Francesca Moody, who produced the live show of Fleabag, the original theatre show, is putting a shed on stage at the Soho Theatre and another one at the Traverse Theatre in Edinburgh, and then you can watch all the shows on Zoom or some similar platform. And I'm doing a show that I did before I was doing The Guilty Feminist called Deborah Francis White Rolls the Dice, and it's the story about how I found my biological mother. And I will be doing that so you can live stream that. And all of the money doesn't go to me. Uh, none of the money comes to me. Uh, it goes to... Why are you talking about that like it's a selling point? As if like... Well, because I just want people to know this is charitainment. Okay. And, uh, the money... So similarly to Alexandra wanting bursaries for barristers, the money's going to go to new and emerging artists to have their first break in Edinburgh, hopefully next year, if Edinburgh's back up and running next year. Edinburgh, the Edinburgh Festival, I should say. I always feel so sorry for the residents of Edinburgh because comedians talk about Edinburgh like it's Brigadoon and go, when Edinburgh's over, they stand in Edinburgh going, when Edinburgh's over, and I'm like, it's not over, we're just leaving. It's a city, it's a famous city. Uh, so hopefully Edinburgh uh, next year, or if not the year after, shedinburgh.com, check it out. There's loads of amazing shows. Alexandra, I hope you do inspire a younger generation of barristers, uh, young people who are from backgrounds who... Uh, wouldn't necessarily think that they were able to walk into that kind of field. And I hope that uh, more scholarships are made available and th- that your story inspires others. Thank you so much for Thank coming you. on the show today. Please give it up for Alexandra. So That's Alexandra Wilson and her book is In Black and White. Now, uh, we like to finish with a musical act. Please welcome to the stage the wonderful Abracor. Hello, everyone. Um, thank you so much for having me again. Thank you, Deborah, for inviting me again. Yeah, as you might have seen, like I just wiped down my microphone with a biodegradable wipe. Um, I'm one of those annoying people that was a germaphobe before the pandemic. <laughs> so, like, all, the pre- all my friends take the piss out of me, and then the pandemic happens, and I'm like, I told you so. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, so I've got all this down. Like, I just remembered the wipes and everything. So, um, yeah, what's been happening in the pandemic? Um, I'm really grateful for being alive. I'm grateful for working for a mental health charity through the pandemic. As you can imagine, it's probably very intense for people in the country. But, um, yeah, I had this amazing opportunity to be on the new version of Bob Marley's iconic song, One Love, recently, alongside the Marley family, um, alongside musicians from around the world and musicians from conflict zones. And um, that was in support of UNICEF's um, COVID support program that they're running right now. So if you have the chance, go and listen to that version because every stream benefits UNICEF and children around the world. Um, and um, yeah, I've just been really grateful to be able to use music and um, my voice during the pandemic. I think I've just always been influenced by protest music and it runs through my writing. Um, so the song I'm going to sing today is called Bloodline. And I actually wrote this because it was just an expression of how I was feeling. And it's only when I put it out in the world, I realized that my music is inherently political just because of where I come from, because I come from a family that has experienced, ancestors that have experienced colonization. Um, and when the way I write, it just comes through. And um, this song, everyone relates to it in a very different way. I've had people from mixed heritage backgrounds relate to it. Um, people from similar backgrounds to myself and people that I just didn't imagine would relate to this song. But today I want to dedicate this song to the people of Lebanon and Beirut because I can't even imagine the kind of injustice that they felt um, and are feeling right now. So um, this is a song called Bloodline. You can find it everywhere. And um, I've kind of mixed it up a little bit as well, so you'll hear some other things. Um, so I'm a Punjabi folk singer, but I do jazz and soul and I also play an instrument called the sarengi, um, which I didn't bring today because it's a one mic gig. <laughs> um, um, and I hope you can connect with this song and this version of the song in some way. Thanks. so long there are endless migrations within me we've tried so hard to belong reincarnations of nations live in me I've created borders I cannot enter I am an earthquake with no epicenter Chasing a life that doesn't want me It doesn't want me It's still running, 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 running in my bloodline It's still running
that betrays us Here on this land they call me a traitor We are the victims and the crime scene I am a people forever in hiding Where is the place that gives us shelter? Where are the sacred spaces I can enter? Chasing a life that doesn't want me He doesn't want me Keep on fighting 
till the end. We are the champions. We are the champions. No time for losers. Cause we are the champions of the world. Thank you so much. Yeah, so aside from um, the one love being out, I've got a single out called Blind, and the music video is out, and it's made by an all-woman crew, um, so directed by Ramani Kalualio, good friend, and yeah, um, go and watch it, go and support um, women in film, especially, um, they're all underdogs, that are so, so talented, and we worked really hard last October, and it's out <laughs> how many months later? <laughs> On um, Instagram, I'm Ms. Amritkaur, so M-S dot Amritkaur. K-A-U-R. K-A-U-R. And on Twitter, I'm Amrit K-L-O-H-I-A. But just find me on Instagram, it's easier. <laughs> Amrit, thank you so much. That was just incredible. Thank you. You have been listening to the Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis White, guest co-host Alison Scott, and our very special guest, Alexandra Wilson, with music from Amrit Kaur. Thanks to Sean, Jordan, and everyone at the New Normal Festival, as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com. I'm a feminist, uh, but I've just realised. Um, I'm on the wrong page. Hold on. <laughs> here we go. Um, oh, here we go. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.